Hey there, folks. Welcome back to Classic Camera Revival. And today our episode happens to fall on Friday the 13th. Why not tune in to us and listen to some of our bad luck stories? Roll the intro. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. And we're back. Now, the one interesting thing about film photography is that luck is usually what you make it. But sometimes there are just some films, some cameras, some developments that you just cannot get a handle on. So we're going to be discussing the things that have given us a little bit of bad luck and then move into ways that we help go by the quote of the great Obi-Wan Kenobi. In my experience, there's no such thing as luck. So we're going to start with James Lee because you have a very interesting camera that you have had no luck with. Yeah, and uh, that is the Kodak Retina Reflex number three, um, which by all accounts is actually not a bad camera. It's just we clash. I guess we have a bit of a personality clash. I just can't shoot the damn thing correctly, it seems. Um and I don't know what it is about the camera. Maybe it's because the uh, uh, the rewind late lever is at the bottom of the camera. And um, it just seems kind of weird to me. Um, it's just, I don't know. I just don't get along with it. And I think it, primarily, I think it's the ergonomics of the camera. It's a bit of an interesting beast to shoot. Um, it's a camera where... Um, it's it, it is actually coupled with the meter so it, it's got a selenium meter um uh this one is the later version it's got the larger uh gaussian um selenium meter on it and it, it's actually coupled so you it has i guess a bit of a an auto mode where it will you know um it will set shutter speed and um and aperture automatically and you just it will you know once you have your needle matched in both the viewfinder and there's a little little um i don't know if you can see it but there's a little window on the on the top of the camera as well and if you get your needle in there it will automatically adjust your um your shutter speed and your aperture which is fine if that's the way you want to shoot and i guess you know in the in the late 50s it was kind of i guess an automatic camera for the era um but if you want to shoot it i guess um in a more sort of manual mode you basically set the shutter speed first and then there's a little knurled wheel at the bottom that will change your aperture for you and i always screw it up um it i guess you know i'm i'm so used to shooting modern ish cameras that when i go back a few more decades um you know my lazy brain doesn't think of all the steps that you need to do uh, and there's another obscure thing about this camera as well um i mentioned before that the uh the shutter uh lever is at the bottom um and to actually shoot it you have to depress a little release button which is nonsensical because you can't accidentally cock the shutter twice um, and then it has a film counter that's at the bottom as well. And when the film counter goes to zero, it stops shooting. So if you don't ever reset your film counter, um, you will you know, be on your next frame potentially and you'll be at zero and you're like, I'm pushing the shutter, nothing's happening. Um, what you actually have to do is push this lever and then it manually moves the uh, frame counter for you. And then every time you put a roll of film in, you've got to reset it back to zero. And then of course, if you have 24 exposures, you got to, you know, click it, you know, 
12 times to get it down to 24. Um, so there's that. Uh, it's just, I mean, aesthetically, it's a beautiful camera. Optically, this has a, a, a Schneider Xenar 2.8 45mm lens. Great optics. When I can expose it correctly, I get lovely images from it, like really nice out-of-focus area, really nice uh, vignetting. And, and you know, it, it's, it's a great camera for the era. Um, but it's just, it, it, the way you have to use it, the way you shoot it, my brain just is not compatible with it. So how do I get around using this thing? Well, um, frankly, I just have to take my time. I mean, you know, that's that's all I can really tell you. Uh, it's if I put it on a tripod and I kind of shoot it in the same approach that I would a large format camera where you're kind of doing that dance back and forth and, you know, getting everything set up properly, it then it works for me, which kind of, but it also kind of defeats the purpose of the camera because I think it was really designed as, you know, one of the first sort of um, household type of cameras, travel cameras with the, you know, the coupled metering and that sort of thing where you could just kind of put the needle in the middle, you know, press the shutter button and do your thing. Um, but for whatever reason, I don't get along with it. Uh, and um, I can't really fault the camera for it. It's just the way my brain is wired, I guess. Well, actually, you can you can fault that camera. I mean, <laughs> that was not made by uh, Kodak and Rochester. That was a German-made camera. That is true, and yes. Those the retinas, especially the retina reflexes, were notoriously over-engineered. Oh, it, it, well, I mean, look at look at the form factor of the camera. This camera looks like it should weigh less than half a pound. Oh, it's but they're heavy. It's two pounds. Yeah. It is. An, you're absolutely right. The best way to describe this thing is an over-engineered monstrosity. And when it breaks, it's broken for good, frankly, because you can't find anybody around that will that, that could figure it out. I mean, it is true. Crazy enough. Yeah. Crazy enough to repair yeah. it. Yeah, it, it is. It is very, very over-engineered. It weighs a ton. Um, yeah, I, I guess it would probably be in the same space as maybe like a, a Contaflex mm -hmm. uh, camera like that, you know, but I much prefer shooting my Contaflex over this one because that one just everything kind of works. And ergonomically, it, it the, like I guess the, the workflow of the camera, for lack of a better word, um, is much easier to figure out. And it doesn't weigh two and a half pounds. No. Okay. Jess, how about you? What sort of unlucky things have you encountered? Okay. So my unluckiest camera is actually also my favorite camera, which is sort of weird, but just bear with me here. So those who know me know that my favorite camera is the Mamiya RB67. That thing is a beast and it is equal parts wonderful and frustrating. It's really great when it wants to work, but it seems to have a mind of its own and doesn't always want to work for me. Um, so one issue that I have with it is that I have the Pro S version, which is like the second edition. The Before that was the Pro. And so they made slight changes with the Pro S. And one of those changes is the backs. And on the backs of the Pro S, there's a little lever that you can push. So if you want multiple exposures... You can push the lever and it will allow you to keep shooting as many exposures as you want without having to advance to the next frame. Um, or you can leave it off and that way you always have to advance your film. The problem is that there seems to be some kind of miscommunication between the body and the backs 
there's a pin that's like not coming out of my rotating back. So it doesn't communicate properly with those backs. And the only way I can actually shoot through a roll is to actually let it skip a few frames along the way. So I end up missing, instead of getting 10 shots, I get seven uh, because the frame counter doesn't line up and otherwise they start overlapping. So basically I just wind and know that okay when I use those backs I am losing some frames it got really expensive when I decided to do a comparison of the Lomochrome films <laughs> shooting Metropolis Lomochrome Purple and Turquoise uh, on those backs um, I lost three frames per roll so that was a little painful but I get through it I am uh, actively looking for a new rotating back though to hopefully solve that problem the other problem that I've also encountered is this is specifically with my 90 millimeter lens. And I don't know if this has happened to anyone else, um, but the mirror lockup function is on the lens itself. And it's like this little knob that you twist when you want it on or you twist, turn it off. And so when I'm in the woods, especially shooting on a tripod, I always use mirror lockup function uh, because it reduces the shake, you know, and possibility of movement of the camera when I'm trying to shoot. The problem is, is that that actually broke and it did so mid shoot while I was trying to shoot a video in the woods <laughs> and it was so hard to keep the frustration off my face. But basically now what I have to do is I can turn it on. I have to hold it in like an out position, release the mirror, let go of it, and then I can use the shutter release cable. Uh, so as long as I remember to do that, <laughs> it works perfectly fine. Um, Another issue that I have is the waist level finder. Uh, it's not actually the right one. The Pro S version had like an upgraded waist level where the magnification mirror came up and it's all closed off. So no light can get in. But the original Pro version just had this little mirror that flips up on like a little spring um, and you can still get light that comes in. That's not really the issue, but because it's, doesn't quite fit my camera there's a screw that's loose and so it doesn't sit always properly on the camera and tends to fall off in my bag and also the little spring for the mirror when I release the mirror so that I can magnify my viewfinder uh the spring often comes loose and then I'm struggling to try to get the little magnifier back up and of course that usually also happens when I'm filming videos so it's Lots of fun to use this camera. Um, and finally, my last problem. This isn't specifically a Mamiya problem, though. Um, I don't know how many of our listeners have seen my videos, but I did some videos a few, couple of years ago for Polaroid Week where I took apart uh, Impossible Instant Labs and like fitted them to um, like adapters, one that was made by a company called Resovat and one that was made by a company in the U.S. called Analog Studio. And the Resovat one, I've, I, it's the instant lab. That's the problem on that back. Um, it would jam all the time. And then chemicals started leaking everywhere and getting into the rollers. And finally, I, while trying to film a video, of course, I was ejecting a shot and it got so stuck that it just kept rolling, 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 caused the battery to burn out. And now the circuit's fried on that back. Um, and of course, at exactly the same time, the analog studio back, the battery just decided to die on me and I cannot actually charge it or use that back. So I'm going to be contacting the owner of that company to, cause he sells battery replacements. Uh, so at least that should be an easy fix, but I swear with this camera, like anything can happen. It's, it's literally like this 
heavy box of metal and nothing communicates with each other. Everything has a mind of its own. It's just doing all its own little bits. But to be fair, I bought it off of a really sketchy guy behind a Tim Hortons dumpster. So I guess you get what you pay for. <laughs> Nothing like well, Tim jumps out of the trunk of a car, eh? Right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, if it's worth anything, your frustrating frustrations rarely show on video. Well, that's that's really good to know because I know I'm doing all my best to just go zen and just stay calm and just keep running through my checklist of all the things that I have to do to make sure it works till the end of the video. And then I can swear, I can scream, I can cry, I can whatever. But at well, least in yeah. the moment, it keeps me calm. <laughs> it's, it's this. It's a very similar approach when you're shooting people and, and something goes wrong. Like you just can't let don't let them see you sweat and don't let the camera see you sweat and exactly. never talk to the camera because it likes it and never talks back i yeah. know right <laughs> and like this camera it's i love it so much i absolutely love the rb67 i know that me and that camera are meant to be together but oh boy does it test every single little bit of patience in my body <laughs> It makes mm, me feel like yeah. a really good photographer when I actually get results that I'm happy with, mind oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, most of my bad luck um, comes that uh, it usually starts with a P and ends with D, and that would be Polaroid. The number of Polaroid cameras that I have gone through until I found one that actually has worked multiple times is absolutely insane so my very first polaroid was an sx70 folder with the sonar autofocus hmm. really great camera super slick two, two packs in did fine third pack put it in bam all eight shots right out the front so like you just spit out eight eight yep one two three four five six seven eight in quick succession what Whoa. Yep. And yeah. Oh, that's gonna hurt. Well, thankfully, I had found an original SX70, which I managed to coax back to life with the help of the fine folks at Impossible Project. Halfway through the roll, halfway through the pack, it died. Yeah, you are not meant to shoot uh, instant film. So then I thought, well, you know what? Let's go with some newer cameras. So I started looking at 600 cameras. Again, one worked fine. Worked fine, worked fine until one pack, all eight came out at once. Another one dropped. Um, and then I'm like, okay, you know what? Let's just go with the newest. And I got a Spectra. And then they stopped making Spectra film. Mm, Thankfully, yeah. I, um, I've since gotten from a, a friend one of the last Polaroid 600 cameras ever made. The uh, Polaroid One Six Hundred, and it is fingers crossed still going strong. So I don't take it out that often because, again, the film is expensive. Um, so, and I, I don't know. I'm, I want to like it. I really, really do, but I just can't bring myself to even like. People say, "Why don't you buy one of the new Impossible cameras?" Like the i two came out and all these other ones, but I just can't. The cost it's yeah. the cost of the film i hear you i, I feel you I, it's funny like thank god chrissy's not on this on this um uh episode because she 
she's probably she'd probably stab me with daggers coming out of her eyes i just i am not a fan of instant film like i'm just i'm just not and and you know i i appreciate it don't get me wrong i don't dislike it i'm just not a fan of it and i went through a similar experience i as alex did i have a um um a beautiful um sx70 tan leather like very nice condition folder works perfectly except i can't figure it out and it's you know it's so stupid because it's one setting and i always forget if i want my image to be lighter do i move the dial to the lighter side or do i move it to the darker side and i can never remember when i'm shooting the damn thing and i always get it wrong so i'm either underexposing by two or three stops or well, whatever it is one one or one and a half two stops or overexposing one and a half two stops i, I just Oh, I just, it's aggravating. And then I, I i think I might still have some SX-70 film, but I have a beautiful Spectra in the case and everything, absolutely mm. mint. And I have eight packs of Spectra film left. And I can shoot that thing. And I don't know what it is. I can't figure out the SX-70, but I can shoot that, that um, Spectra, no problem. And I guess it's because the flash figures it all out for me. I don't know. Yeah. And and that's one of the things I like about the uh, the Polaroid one six hundred is that it is basically the same form factor as the Spectra. It's that yeah. nice pop out. It looks right. Yeah, I mean, like the Spectra yeah, was featured. Unfolds. It's like it's really cool. I mean, it's way ahead of its time. Like oh, know. absolutely. I mean, it appeared in a James Bond film as having being able to do X ray and shoot a laser. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I really do love the uh, um, the. I mean, they don't make it anymore, but the the Spectra black and white film. That, Ooh, that would have been nice. I have a few packs of it. So, you know, I'm kind of saving it, I guess, for a rainy day. Um, so, all right. Well, maybe I'm lying to myself. Maybe I am a film, a fan of instant uh, film photography. I'm just I just can't shoot the uh, SX-70 to, you know, if the world depended on it, um, we yeah. all go into hell in a handbasket. So. That's a tough one to shoot with, though. Like, I, I have an old one, too. And aside from the fact that now the shutter doesn't actually work, so I have, like, two-thirds of the frame are dark and my image is properly exposed on one-third. Um, <laughs> but, but even then, like, figuring out which way to turn that dial, I I yeah, can never I, remember it either. I don't even ask me what it is because I don't know what it is right now. I can't remember. Nope. Yeah. That's why I like shooting Polaroid on my RB67 when my backs actually work. Or I did get uh, the new Polaroid Now Plus uh, for my birthday this year. And so that's actually a pretty cool camera. It comes with an app so you can even like override manually. And oh, nice. All, yeah, cool. you can do all kinds of cool stuff like through the app as well. Um, I can't say I'm getting great luck with it. It's it, It's actually like a decent learning curve for an instant film camera. But uh, it's it's a lot of instant film is so much fun. And it when you get fun. when you get it results really... that you like, you're yeah. so proud of yourself because it's so true. hard to do it. You that's just it. That that's that's what makes me want to shoot it still and keep at least one of the cameras yeah, in, I mean, in my you, collection. Yeah. You have to appreciate the wonder, like the yeah. the miraculousness that is instant photography, right? Like, I mean, that's so cool when you think of you know what's going on all of those chemicals being dispersed like in that little pouch and you know just it, it's it's crazy like you really you know what a miraculous invention like and know. how far it's come i mean one of the original polaroid roll film cameras was featured in a mash episode yeah. and it was just 
wow and yeah. you and you see how that advanced to then the type 100 pack film and the four by five the type 55 mm-hmm. um to the instant integral and that folding slr like that it itself is just worth keeping a camera even though it doesn't work just for the sheer engineering yeah. of it well now i'm inspired to figure out how the damn exposure dial works <laughs> i'm sure there's some youtube videos about it yeah, i'm sure there are one or two out there yeah. At, at yeah. least. <laughs> and how about you bill oh boy um i'm a nikon fanboy which everyone knows and i love the fm series of cameras but i think mine is more of a cautionary tale to when you're at a camera show and you see something pretty investigate if the shutter actually works properly i didn't i lot and this was i was at the london camera show back in 2016 it was a beautiful spring day after i went to the show i dropped my friend back off at his place he lives in london so i drove down to port stanley to try to kill the roll of color film realize there was something and the thing with nikon is their cul- vertical copal shutters and their fm slash fe series of cameras even the fm3a even though it's a very complicated one, they're bomb-proof shutters until they're not. And this FM, I guess it's been, it, it, a guy was cleaning out his dad's estate and he had a prolific camera collection. And I have a feeling this FM just sat for decades. So after finding out that one ruined roll of film, took it to one repair tech who, oddly enough, he was factory trained Nikon. He was still working for Nikon. And I said, yeah, I can't get parts. Mm-hmm. Got the camera back, went on to us cam- US camera on eBay. They have their own standalone site. So I went to the standalone site. Lo and behold, I found a shutter assembly for the FM. I buy it. I take it to Camera Repair Canada import credit. Remember them? The guy oh, yeah, the Japanese guy. retired. What's his name again? I can't remember. He was a lovely Japanese gentleman. Yeah. I don't know if he's still with us or not. And he had a crack at it, got it to work. But then it started getting flaky. Like sometimes the shutter will hang open, then the meter is now out of sync. So what I'm doing now, and you're probably sitting here going, you know, sunk cost fallacy here. But FMs now have sort of crept up enough in price that it's almost worth repairing as opposed to just replacing. So what I'm doing is I'm in the middle of a test roll and I'm just taking, I'm going to take copious notes and drop it off and hop in the camera and saying, this is what's wrong with it, including the slightly peeling cover, leatherette. So, you know, the workaround out in the field, there's really not much you can do. But again, if you are dealing with a repair tech and it's still a mechanical camera, take copious notes of what's going wrong. Because they're going to love that. They'll love that. The more you document, the more they'll know where to look and how to fix it. And, uh, you know, there are rugged, reliable cameras. I just sort of wound up with a, a bit of a dog. Um, and that's just how it goes. You know, again, so, you, you, again, if you're at a camera show, you don't know where the camera's been. If it's a private seller, they may be refurbished or, yeah, I'm clearing out my dad's estate. And I'm, you know, and I don't know much about cameras, but I'm trying to like, you know, do my due diligence as a co-executor or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Stay tuned for an update down the road. <laughs> as as an IT professional, all I can say is that, yes, when there is problems, take copious notes because it makes my job so much easier, especially if I can just fix the problem without getting my butt out of my desk. Hmm. Film-wise, I'd say, unlucky, I'd say Film Ferrania P30. Mm. 
mm-hmm. get it right, the film sings, but it is such a finicky emulsion that I've been I've been shooting yeah. seriously for going on almost 20 well, over 20 years now. And I'm like, I, I just like uh, I think I had better luck with the alpha rule than I do with the production. Really? So Which is weird. If if you're having trouble with P30, try um Ferrania Orto. It is a much more forgiving film. Hmm. Um, yeah. I was also <laughs> listening to Nico's photo news, and he was saying the ISO may be actually closer to 64 than 80, but I don't know. I, I'd like to see examples of it before I... Oh, P30? 64? Yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, box speed and true film speed are two completely separate animals. Oh, I know. Uh... And... I don't think they're the right or wrong answer to what a true film speed is, because if you if you've watched a lot of what Matt Mirage does, he actually has a very rigorous process in determining his ideal film speed for each film stock. And it's all about getting the results that you like, because, again, um, I've I've the film I struggle with is uh, FOMO Retropan 320. It is it is a bear of a film at 320. and it is it is an ASA 320 film, um, and you really want to keep it at 320 or slightly underexpose it. You definitely don't want to overexpose it, hmm. but it only responds well to like one developer, and that's like the FOMA Retro Pan Retro Special developer. It is it is green, it is soft, it is muddy. And I've, and I mean, I've shot it without a filter. I've shot it with a yellow filter. I've spot metered it. Ah, it only looks good in one developer. It's kind of like a ad hoc CMS 22. Really hard to just get a read. And when it's a closed imaging system and the film's expensive, the developer's expensive. And I've even tried developing it in in the Adotech 4 and I got zero, I got a blank roll. Yeah, you oh don't want. You definitely don't want to be shooting anything that means something to you. If that's the case, no. Seriously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I hear you. My uh, my nemesis film is the original JCH four hundred. Really? Yeah, I. I mean, I. My negatives are always thin. They're way too contrasty. Um, I just I can't figure it out. I, I you know I've tried different developers with it. I've I've you know I've shot it at um you know all the way from 200 to 800 i i can't i just don't like the results i get from the film hmm. super dilute hc 110 maybe that's the case I've, I've i've only ever done it in dilution b um and h i don't think i've gotten anything like super i think i've done it in g and it's done a good job okay i will I've... i still have a few rolls but yeah, I'd expose yeah. it at 200 ISO processing D76 one to one. Okay. Yeah, but definitely mm-hmm. overexpose it. That is not a true 400 speed film. But well, clearly, case. yeah, in my opinion, it's not because like every time I I think I if I recall, I think the best results I got were probably around 200. Um, but I probably didn't have it in the right soup. So you know, yeah, um, it, I will I will try pretty- that. I, I've shot my share of street pan. Will I buy it again? Yeah, probably not. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I just didn't have it. It just wasn't to my liking, and I I was really surprised because I'm like, 
you know, I saw lots of like people posting some decent images with it, like nice contrast and good mm-hmm. tonality and stuff like mm-hmm. that came out. And I was really, really interested in it. And I was like, for for the life of me, I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like this is, you know, and it I loves, always, like, it loves light. Yeah. It wants it gobbles up light, which I mean, is it, why yeah. it's like you really overexpose it. You could probably even overexpose it two stops, three even. So it's probably closer to like to uh, like a one twenty five, maybe. Who knows? But yeah. Um, yeah. But see, that's an like stuff like that annoys me, right? Because yeah. like as a photographer, like my approach to shooting any film, like any film I haven't tried, is to shoot it at box first and to shoot it at, mm-hmm. at the manufacturer's recommended developer and dilutions and timings, etc. Because I mean, I have to go on the assumption that the manufacturer has tested all of this stuff, and that is the optimal. Uh, you know, tone curve, contrast, density, all of that sort of thing. I'm not expecting it to be perfect, but that should be the all-around average good shot that you could say, okay, for my eye, I will, you know, over, you know, I'll push it a little bit, I'll pull it a little bit, I'll do whatever, this, that, and the other thing. Um, You know, like, that's what you would think. But, I mean, it's, I guess, you know, after having this discussion, clearly, I don't think it's a 400-speed film. Um, or at least should not be marketed as a 400 speed film. Um, but anyway, that said, I think I will give it a shot at anywhere between 100 and 200. And, and as Bill said, we'll go D76 one to one. See what happens. Yep. And use the box speed time. Okay. Don't pull oh. it. Just box speed time. And then develop normally. And see yeah. what you got. Like, again, it is what it is. I... Anyway. It's, and I, mean, I get your yeah. comments. It's sort of like, don't make me do your homework for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, as like, a consumer, I have a rough idea. Like foam pan, I four hundred, I've dialed in two hundred fifty ISO, and ninety nine percent of developers, except for uh, compensating ones like Ilfatech DDX, in which case it goes to three twenty or something yeah. close to box speed. But it's like anyone who you know, you figure it out. It's not rocket science. But in other ones, you, you know, regardless of what you do, you're getting you know, dog. Well, yeah, it's like. Is sometimes it's if you're an experienced shooter and you're experienced in film processing and continually getting crap with a particular emulsion, regardless of developer, but everything else you play with turns out just fine and dandy. Um, maybe it's the manufacturer, the people marketing it could be. Yeah, I mean, you know, I hey, look, I'm Bellamy's a nice guy, I'm not here to shit on his parade, but like I just haven't had a good um, it's just not been good for me, and it, I guess it it's somewhat exacerbated because when it first came out, I bought like four bricks of the damn shit. Like, I mean, you know, so I'm like, I got a fridge full of crap. You are really committed. And that's my, the moral of the story is don't get too excited when something new comes out. It's not always great to be an early adopter. Anybody want some JCH 400, by the way? Maybe we'll have a giveaway. There we go. There you go. You know, it's it's funny because just talking about films, you know, everyone has their preference. Everyone mm. has emulsions that work for them, some that don't work so much. Sometimes it's it could be the manufacturer. Sometimes it could be user error. And my film that uh, I just cannot get to work for me is actually Ilford Pan F. But that is entirely my fault because I am lazy. I like to shoot film and then I like to leave it in my fridge for a while uh, mm. up to, I don't know, couple of years if i want even and, and pan f backing paper goes bad so quickly so quickly 
and it just it doesn't like to sit it does not like to no. sit. it likes to be shot and then processed right away so out of i don't even know how many rolls i've tried probably only you know three or four at this point i think i have one image that i've liked and the rest are just crap and mm. it took me a while to figure out that it was me that was the problem and so unfortunately Han F and I had a breakup and I will not be shooting that film anymore. Oh, I love that. Nothing against Ilford. I know it. people get amazing results with it. And if I could just dial in my laziness a little bit, maybe try to find a way to procrastinate a little less. Hmm. But sometimes with the farm, I just have no choice, you know, with work and stuff, I can't develop right away. And or sometimes it sits in my camera for a while, too. And that's another problem. Pan F doesn't really like to in general whether it's in your camera or in your fridge waiting to be developed. So from for right now, it's just not a film I could use, but uh, I see really amazing. So my recipe for Pan F um, is box uh, HC 110 dilution H for 14 minutes. Give that a try. You will like it. Mm -hmm. I'm, um, sure, I'm sure I would. It's just a matter of being. It also does better. really good in 510 Pyro and oh, Kodak nice. D19. One to I don't one. think I don't think there's a film that does bad in 510 Pyro. Actually. I don't think so. No, honestly, that stuff. I, I, I have to get some because I am loving everyone's results with that. I am cover. looking at some APX 25 that I did in 510 Pyro, and they look amazing. Nice. Um, I also did a roll of um, FPP Let It Snow, which is a uh, Svema Photo 100 in 510, and again really great results like some of the best results i've gotten out of spama photo 100 Amazing. so mm. but you know one developer that never worked for me rodenol i just cannot get rodenol to work i don't rodenol, like all the tough one i just it don't is. like it maybe maybe like i do like shooting a lot of hp5 pushed and i find it just Ooh, looks terrible. hp5 and rodenol do not they, they play well mix. together you really need to overexpose um HP five by two stops, like shoot it at one hundred, and then a one to fifty dilution on. Um, yeah, and yeah, and then pull just, it. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. It's not worth your while. That's not me. <laughs> no, <laughs> I do love HP five and Xtol. That's my favorite. Or mm. any Xtol. Yeah, that's that's my absolute favorite. But yeah, Rodanol is just one. Like I know people love it. People love stand developing. I've always wanted to try stand developing because I feel like that's a really good fit for me who's lazy <laughs> oh i hate stand developing okay so well there boring. you go then maybe maybe i wouldn't like it um, and i've done it in rodenol i've done it in 510 pyro i've done it with hc 110 and it's just like oh kill me now okay all i can say is last time i did a one hour stand develop i was so glad i had star trek the next generation on dvd to watch <laughs> there you go Noted. Yeah, it, it, it's it's time consuming and I don't know. I guess a lot of a lot of people use it as a crutch. It's like one of those things that like, you know, it was all the rage for about six months, you know, mm -hmm. three years ago. Um, and then people started using it as a crutch. Oh, I, you know, overexposed and I forgot to change my uh, ISO setting or this, that and the other thing. And everyone like their thing was like, oh, stand develop it. Or I've got some expired film, stand develop it. It's like kind of like, well, maybe you kind of want to figure out how things work, experiment a little bit. Yeah. you know learn a thing or two well that being said i've i have gotten some good results out of expired film by stand developing it i hey, cannot yeah yeah totally 
but it was well before I had figured everything else out. Yeah. I'm just saying, don't use it as like a cop out, right? Like mm-hmm. it has its time and place, definitely. And I think, you know, when you've got one roll of some, you know, really obscure uh, expired film, like, you know, you found a roll of Tech Pan from 80 years ago um, or Panatomic X and uh, and you want to you want to make sure that it comes out, then yeah, maybe stand development might might be something to do in that case. Yeah. Now, as as much as things have been, we've we have our own uh, little tales of being unlucky. There's a lot of things that you can do to actually uh, help mitigate that. And um, what I really started doing actually came out of you know all my unluckiness with Polaroid cameras. So I took a page out of uh, the FPP's book, and I took some uh, empty film packs, and I actually took some of my old Polaroid film that I'd shot and exposed, loaded it into these packs and then put a dark slide. So I could then test the cameras before I bought them. Uh So I could slide it in. It had enough juice left in the battery because you don't go through an entire battery in eight, eight shots. And I could then like, if it popped it in and then out came the dark slide and then wham, out came all eight shots. I'm like, okay. And you're not worth the money or it takes a shot. And then, so again, it it doesn't necessarily eliminate all the problems. There might still be issues with the shutter. There might be problems with the meter, but it at least eliminates a lot of the mechanical issues that start off with. So it's like going to a camera store or show or a thrift store and carrying batteries to test the cameras out. I always do that. Another thing that has definitely helped me is making sure that all my chemistry bottles are clearly labeled so I don't accidentally redevelop film in kodak dk50 thinking that i have fixed it oh i accidentally i accidentally created some slides whoopsies cool. well um yeah. i've mixed chemistry up and, and i guess that's sort of the moral of the story is get a good night's sleep before you process yes yeah. i cannot stress that up and again i think a lot of problems especially if it's gear related do your due diligence, like even before or even a film stock and you're you're gonna process it. Read up how other people have done it. Oh god, yeah. And mm-hmm. one number one cardinal rule that I have violated on more occasions and it's bitten me in the ass like nine times out of ten is rushing in the dark room. Mm-hmm. I went and shot probably uh what well I had um 12 exposures of um uh four by five. So I filled up, I, I, I put both tanks in the bag, um, didn't fill one of them. So I filled, you know, I just filled one of the two, put the, the can down. I'm like, okay, I'll fill the other one. And then I'm going to, for whatever reason, stagger the development so I can essentially do two tanks at the same time. What do I do? I grabbed the tank I just put down, opened it up to put it in the bag just to see six sheets of film in there oh no yeah oh no was right i just i just i i just walked out of the dark room i'm like uh yeah i gotta go (laughs) oh that makes me want to cry yeah i was just like are you kidding me and it was it was slide film oh no yeah oh now i really want to cry (laughs) yeah so i and i don't know what the hell i was thinking like i i really don't know what short circuited in my brain thinking this was going to be you know because i was going to put i I was going to do the black and white and then i was going to put the uh the slide film in the jobo 
and I mixed the the two cans up. Yeah, and um, I'm an idiot. To the best of oh, oh it does. Yeah, it just oh, you know, wow. don't rush. I mean, it's just no. not worth it. If anything, you know, every any as they say, anything worthwhile takes time. So take your time to get there. Like it's just you know, yeah. And and of course, that- RTFM as well. Yeah. Read the manual. Yeah. Oh, oh God, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> Don't assume you know what you're doing. No. Yeah. Just because you did it once 20 years ago doesn't mean you remember. It's amazing what you think you remember versus what reality really is. That that came back to bite me when I did a review of the Yashica FR1. And I did not read the manual on this camera. And I thought I was pressing the button that was the um, meter activation. It was actually the battery check. <laughs> so I got lucky and there were a few shots exposed, but I ripped into this camera and that review still gets the most amount of hate. And I've gotten rid of the camera, so I can't even go back and redeem it. Oh, yeah. That's hey, you know, as, as they say, film photography humbles you and it and yeah. it, it sure does. Like, I mean, you just can't make any assumptions, right? Like no. it, it's a, it's a, we all say we shoot film because it's a process. Never try to circumvent that process. Like shortcuts Ooh. never really work out. Like, I mean, you but might get this... once or twice, but you know, yeah. the problem is you get complacent. You're like, oh, I took that shortcut last time and it worked. I'll do that shortcut again. And then, yeah, the film gods are like, no, no, Sonny Jim. George Eastman looks down and frowns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like to this day, I still have a checklist with my RB67 or my Intrepid or any camera that's a little bit more complicated to use. I have a checklist of things to do Hmm. to make sure I can expose the shot properly. But I also have a checklist of everything that goes into my bag because it is so easy to forget the amount of times I've forgotten an extra 120 spool. Hmm when I'm about to shoot a video is, is mind boggling (laughs) to the point where I have like five of them in my bag and different pockets just to make sure I can't miss them at all because somehow they disappear from, from my, my life. Mechanical cable release. Mm -hmm. That's been one. I've lost so many of those. Tripod feet. Oh, I have so many, I have so many Manfrotto tripod feet because I keep on forgetting them and going to have to buy new ones. Or bat, something as simple as that. Literally, I, I I sort of take Jess's line to a pre the metaphorical pre flight check. Like for example, my annual retreat up in northern Muskoka that I was running with this year, the tenth anniversary kit, uh, the Titanium FM2 and the Titanium F3, basically variations of the same two cameras I used ten years ago. I made sure I had two packs of Energizer three five sevens because. Where I was, the closest place I could possibly buy Energizer 357s is Huntsville. Yeah. Wow. If I was running with, say, the F4 or the F5, F100 or the F90X, I'd be closer, Dwight, at the gas station. Always has to no, be values. Yeah. And I still have a checklist for large format. Oh, abs- you that have sounds- to. And I still <laughs> record aperture shutter speed camera movements just in case something goes wrong i can go like aha here's where the problem is exactly i i also try to do it with a medium format i take notes 35 millimeter i tend not to bother with taking Mm. notes anymore just because i go through it so quickly jody's really good with with taking notes i but uh, i just can't do it 
when it gets yeah, to 35, 35 millimeter, I'm like, yeah, shots one to 10 were taken around the farm. Sure. <laughs> On yeah. about this day. <laughs> yeah. That's about it. No, no. 35 millimeter. I usually record um, date, um, subject or location, um, camera, lens or lenses in some cases. And then I'm like, okay, frames this through this. I shot this lens frame that through that. I shot that lens film filters um the exposure and how i developed it and that's all stored in an excel spreadsheet because then i can then filter each column yeah and that has come in handy when it's like hmm i really want to develop xyz in this developer well there's no official times but i do have d76 stock times so i can go okay i just compare it to the one that's the closest film speed and then like well I have 510 pyro times for this, so I'm just going to do it. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I uh, I, may, I imported my Excel spreadsheet into uh, an access database. So now I just make it easy on Ooh. myself. I have enter my search criteria. It's fun being an IT nerd. So yeah, I like doing SQL. I know yeah. it was weird, but it was just so much f- weirdly fun. Yeah. Designing databases wasn't, but SQL was. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, another like blunder couple, well, I'd only done it one time. I got distracted and left uh, a couple of rolls in the rinse tank for three hours just to pull them out and then watch the emulsion go bye bye. Like it just, it was just gone. Like it, it like was it like, like picture, like, you know how they do those, um, like those, uh, like they spray paint in those uh, water tubs and like they dip like helmets and like that sort of yeah. oh yeah. yeah i love those videos yeah so anyway that's what it looked like sliding oh, no. the emulsion. So, <laughs> i was like uh what is happening wow and that's in just water yeah just water like it just lifted the emulsion right off the base wow yeah oh, that sucks. it was for a few hours i think it was way longer than like so it just yeah film ain't waterproof Noted. Noted. And also that like, kind of scary with Milton tap water. Yeah, well, yeah, Milton tap water. My our tap water is very hard here. So but as hard as a granite countertop. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we're we're lucky in uh in where we live is that we have some really good water softening. So I have no issues with the tap water here in the condo. Well, that's good. Something but, yeah, I look into I've, I've had some chemicals do some funky shit. So mm, um all I can say is like if you're if you're having trouble with film, shoot five rolls, develop it five different ways. If you can't find a way you like it, don't bother. Just there's film's so many too films. expensive. And there's Cut so many different losses. films. You'll find something else you like. Yeah, there's don't absolutely. give don't give in to the hype. No. Like, and and if you're gonna shoot, try if you're gonna try a new film or try a new developer, shoot it at box or use what the manufacturer recommends. Not to say you won't like the results, but you'll see what they were aiming for, and then you can decide, you know, what you side get a baseline. Yeah, you get a baseline. So, you know, do I want to go plus or minus on this? What do I want to do? So, a little bit longer, a little bit shorter. Yeah, it does take a lot of time and experimentation, but if you're diligent with your note taking at really making sure that you do all your steps properly, you can get exactly the results you want in in no time really like it it just takes the time to actually experiment to try the developers to try the films but eventually you do start kind of like narrowing down you know absolutely i I feel like i've finally hit the point where i've tried so many different films that now 
I'm at the point of narrowing it down. I I'm able to say, okay, I like, you know, HP five and Xtal say, so mm -hmm. that's mainly how I'll do, how I'll shoot it and process it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, I haven't started doing color film or E6, but I know that that's supposed to be much simpler because it's just basically you can let it do its thing. Just make sure your temperature for the most good. part. Yeah. 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 Um, black and white, you can kind of play around with a little bit more. There's so many mm -hmm. more developers and stuff. But once once you get that sweet spot, just stick with it. Like yeah, once absolutely. you get the results you like, just stick with it. Don't keep trying because what's the point? Like you can get so easily caught up in the hype or in what everyone else is saying. And you just got to do what you want, the results you want and what you like. That's what's important. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, you, I, I think at some point you, you need to ask yourself like, okay, what do I want to be? Am I a photographer who shoots film? And is my objective to like, you know, build some consistency, create some images that I really like, you know, get my artistic expression to a certain point where, um, I'm satisfied with it and I and I'd like to you know put it out there in the world and and let people look at it and hear their feedback or am I am I just the perpetual experimenter do I want to try different things do I not really you know care so much about the results per se other than I want to see the result of making changes in my process hey maybe you're that that kind of person and hey I mean we could all use another film photography podcast in the world so maybe I want to be that kind of person and do all this different stuff and you know kind of yell out in the into the abyss and see who yells back right so you know do do whatever you want to do but i think we're all saying start somewhere and start somewhere where you can normalize your your starting point and figure out which direction you want to go from there right because you can't really get to a destination until you figure out where you're starting from so absolutely and i and i love experimenting and i love putting all those things online and that's what's great about this podcast is that Oftentimes we can do that hard work for you and you can sort of look at what we've done and go like, oh, hey, you know what? I really like what they're doing there, but I think it would do better this way. And you could use us as like a jumping off point and just go from there. It doesn't mean that we were wrong. It just means that it's right for you. Absolutely. Well, folks, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Um, this was a really fun episode. It definitely went in a different direction than what we originally planned. But hey, you know what? That's what's great about about these roundtable episodes, they just sort of meander on their own path. So until next time, folks, my name's Alex Lokes. In the words of Obi-Wan Kenobi, in my experience, there's no such thing as luck. Hey, this is James Lee. Um, take your time, you know, as grandma says, in film photography, haste makes waste. So just do your thing. And hey, look, if it doesn't work out the first time, just give it another shot. This is Jess Hobbs. Let my story be a lesson to you. Don't buy things from behind a dumpster. You might pay dumpster prices, but eventually all you'll have is dumpster problems. Wow, that's a good one. Uh, this is Bill Smith. Um, do your due diligence when you're shopping at a camera show, when you're testing out a camera. Make sure, don't just dry fire the shutter. Open the back up and see if the shutter actually works. Mm. <laughs> Learn so you don't have to go through what I went through. <laughs>